UPN Wednesday on an all-new Star Trek Enterprise. She's a beautiful alien sex slave. I'll serve you well. With talents no crew member can resist. Let go. Will the captain risk everything to have her? I have certain gifts. Star Trek Enterprise. members and either welcome or welcome back to at least there's a dog a star trek enterprise review podcast in which we will boldly go episode by episode through the star trek series that whatever its flaws undeniably has the most dog we are your hosts mandy and josh and on tonight's show we will be discussing season three episode four rajin i think i finally said it right i think so the yeah i think i may have mispronounced it I definitely mispronounced it last week. Yeah. There are a lot of letters with dots on them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I mixed up where they occurred. Yeah, no, I thought, I thought, also like, Raijin just sounded kind of natural to me, but... Yeah, rhymes with Gaijin. Yeah. Anyway, it's Rajin. And it was better than the last episode. It was. <laughs> You didn't like this one, did I don't know you? how much. Like, okay, so the last one was, like, insultingly stupid. Mm-hmm. This one just made me roll my eyes a lot. Okay. So, yeah. This one had high points that the last episode didn't have. Let's put it that way. This episode had some redeeming characteristics. Correct. Which, yeah, the last one didn't. <laughs> so there was nowhere to go but up from last week. They tripped over that incredibly low bar. Mm-hmm. But, uh, man, this was, uh, like, I don't know. The episode was kind of gross. Mm-hmm. In some rather upsetting ways. I mean... In some very UPN-type ways. Just the unnecessary sexualization of... Literally everyone? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, we'll get into that. Yeah, we, uh, we we played the UPN trailer at the start of this episode. Just, you know. Because we kind of had to. Like, that's... For this one in particular. It's pretty clear what UPN was uh, going for with this episode. And, like, there were aspects of it that it actually did pretty well. But, uh... And then there was the other stuff. Which was, of course, the stuff that UPN really wanted the show to do. Yeah... All right, you want to just give them the summary? I suppose. All right. So You're always so was... reluctant to do that. Uh, I'm less reluctant to do it when the episode was good, but... Mm, okay. But sometimes, like, especially for the episodes that are really solidly mediocre, they're kind of hard to summarize in an amusing way. All so, right. All right. So it makes it a little bit more of a chore, but it's fine. I do it for you, all of you. Anyway, this was Rajin. The Zindi Council is debating what to do about their human problem in vague and unhelpful terms. But since we're on UPN, we can be pretty certain the answer will involve boobs. (laughs) Meantime, Archer and Tucker are off exploring one of those sketchy alien markets full of dead animals and naked girls in the dual hope of getting the formula for Trellium D and finding information about the Zindi. 
Tucker succeeds at the former with some very creative training. Archer learns nothing useful whatsoever about the Zindi, but does collect a super sexy runaway slave named Saffron, I mean Rajin, in his bid to get the Kirk Award for the rest of the season. Rajin is, of course, so grateful to the manly and extremely noble captain for saving her from sex slavery, but she's not what she seems to be, unless you have even half an ounce of genre savvy. She, she is there to use her feminine wiles to collect information on the humans and give the network an excuse to do light sexploitation. Tucker and T'Pol, meanwhile, blow up part of the ship, but not because of that kind of fireworks. Yet. Oh, oh dear. Can Archer protect his crew from the wiles? Is Lieutenant Reed correct about the burgeoning romance among the senior officers? Of course he is. Is Hoshi dead? I think so. The star of the show, Porthos, is distressed because Archer has the sleep waffles. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. In the very beginning of the episode, um, it, yeah, the two of them were acting in opposite, op- like, Archer was acting like you might expect a dog to act. Mm-hmm. He was having sleep waffles. He was, you know, do, having the weird dreaming. He and was squirming and wagging his tail. And- yeah. And then he starts scratching himself. Which is also a common feature of dog sleep. He doesn't understand, like, why he has to stop scratching himself, even though he, he keeps being told, no, you shouldn't be scratching yourself. And meanwhile, Porthos is just like, please, take care of yourself. I can't do this for you always. And also, please be quiet. I want to get some sleep. <laughs> yeah, Porthos was in this episode for about two seconds to make concerned little beagle faces at Archer while Archer slept like a dog. Also, Archer is very bad at being a man because a beautiful woman comes to his quarters and he does not immediately say, would you like to meet my dog? What the hell? Come on, dude. That's like, that's like flirting 101. That's, that's, it's, it's flirting 101, but it's also basic hospitality 101. Yeah, also that. Like, of course she wants to meet your dog. Everyone wants to meet the dog. And also, what closet do you have the dog stuffed in that he didn't just immediately run up to sniff her feet? Yeah. What are you doing to the dog, Archer? Mm Mm-hmm. Presumably, the dog is in some sort of a space crate or something like that. (sighs) Probably. But still, first thing you do is do you want to meet the dog? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm... I don't know. I think I was less bothered by this episode than you were. I could speculate if I wanted to, mm-hmm. which I kind of do, about mm-hmm. whether this is just a lazy retread of that one episode of Firefly. Our Mrs. Reynolds? Yes, that one. That that was actually a really great episode, too. That's the thing. Our Mrs. Reynolds is a much better television episode than this one was. Fair enough. It had a lot of the same kind of plot beats and things. Seductress who is... Seductress who pretends to be, like, sweet, nubile, young, innocent to get into the captain's pants and then... Uh, but is and a then spy. Turns out to be a spy and a saboteur and at least in that almost case almost sends them to their certain death or whatever. At least in that case, Saffron was like legitimately trying to kill them. Yes. Whereas here, she's far more ambiguous. Yeah, here I'm not a hundred percent clear on what exactly her motivations were or what anything that surrounded her was. Yeah, we don't... Like, she vaguely works for the Zindi and was using her poorly explained physio-telepathic 
telekinetic whatever powers. Her powers of reusing some CG. Her powers of making everything on screen look really upsetting for a moment. Mm-hmm. And thus ruining any kind of sexual tension that might have been part of the scene. Yeah, yeah. She also had no chemistry whatsoever with uh, Scott Bakula, which didn't help. Yeah. Does anyone have chemistry with Scott Bakula? Uh, yes, Connor Trenier does, because Connor Trenier has okay. chemistry with literally everybody. Okay. Um, and I think Jolene Blaylock does, too. Okay. I don't know. I feel probably like his co-stars on Quantum Leap at least developed it. I guess. I don't know. Never actually watched the show. Neither did I. Maybe we should. Maybe. Like, I don't know. People seem to think it was good. Yeah. But in any case, uh, yes, so I'm constantly comparing this to our Mrs. Reynolds from Firefly, and the comparisons never turn out in favor of mm-hmm. this episode. So I think that's part of what's going on. And also there are uh, things that we'll get into once we get into pluses and minuses, which do we want to just... Let's just go for it. Wait, you owe me trivia. I do owe you trivia. That's right. So the uh, Rajin was probably the star of this episode. Um, and, you know, she did the most interesting stuff. Okay. Um, she was played by an actress named Nikita Auger. Or okay. Auger. Uh, she's not that well known. Um, she has a German Wikipedia page, but no English Wikipedia page. Okay. Hasn't really been in anything that I remember her in. Not that interesting, but... Yeah, no, I'd never seen her in anything before. But there was one name on the guest cast list that got you excited. Scott McDonald. Scott McDonald. (laughs) An extremely uncommon name that surely has never been the name of more than one person. On this earth. Or the name of more than one person on your thesis committee. (laughs) Well, there was only one Scott McDonald on my thesis committee. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, you know what he played? A philosopher. No. Um, Was he the shopkeeper? Not at all. He was... Oops. He was the Zindi reptilian on the council. Oh, okay. He's going to be back. I'm sure he will. Um, This is not his first Star Trek part. In fact, he has played roles on all four of the 80s, 90s aughts Star Trek spinoffs. Oh, good for him. Um, he was a, uh, let's see, sub-commander Navek in Face of the Enemy on TNG. Okay. Um, that's the one where Troy becomes a Romulan. Yep. Um, he was, I think the most memorable of his roles was Tosk. Oh, I am Tosk. I am Tosk. That was him. Yeah. Your thesis advisor gets... Not not advisor. Your thesis committee member gets around. Apparently. Yeah. That was DS9, Captive Pursuit. Um, on Voyager, he played Ensign Rollins, who was an ensign, in the episode Caretaker. Okay. Uh, and uh, then back again on DS9, late season, he was uh, Gorinagar, who is a... Uh, Jem'Hadar soldier who was left on a planet with no Ketracel White and thought he would die, but didn't. And then decides to start trying to figure out how to pass this uh, surviving without Ketracel White off to other Jem'Hadar. Okay. And captures Bashir and O'Brien in the process. Right. Okay. I kind of remember that. So he spends a lot of time under prosthetics. He does seem to spend a lot of time under prosthetics. Yes. Fortunately, he wasn't under prosthetics when he was on your thesis committee. He was not, to my knowledge. (laughs) 
There's not a possible chance that he's listening to this, but if he is, hi, Professor. <laughs> Hope you're doing well. <laughs> anyway, there's your truck trivia for today, especially for you, but not for you. The the you that it is for is is Mandy. The you that it's. I mean, you guys can enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it. But this is this is special for Mandy. Well, thank you, dear. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, now we can go into pluses and minuses. All right. Um, I'm still amused by the Council of the Zindi. They're they're kind of dumb, but I think it's cute. Uh, and also, I get major Sequest DSV vibes. Um, the way that they've got, like, talking aquatic mammals yeah. on there. Like, I don't know. <laughs> that was a reference I did not understand, but I will take your oh, word for it. Oh, Sequest DSV was a sci-fi program, I think it was on NBC, mm. um, back in the, I think it was the 90s. So I'm too much of a baby for this. Probably. It was, it was kind of like a, a Star Trek-y sort of thing, but in the closer, more near future and under the water. Mm, because okay. the sea is Earth's final frontier. Ah, okay. Um, and it's basically about a, a submarine, like a, a futuristic submarine full of people who are exploring beneath the ocean. And uh, there's one of the characters is a dolphin who has like a little dolphin tank in there. Who, nice. Who has like a device hooked up to him so that he can speak. And uh, it is not Sea Lab 2021. It is that not. That is a different that show. That is a different show. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, if they are going to remain not boring, they mm -hmm. need to get better dialogue. <laughs> but <laughs> Probably. that's kind of a future concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I am... While I am a little bit distressed that the episode they chose to call back to was, was the previous really crappy one. Mm -hmm. I am pleased that they are making attempts at continuity. Yes, yeah, so apparently Archer's itchiness is caused by having been turned into an alien last episode? Sounds like it. He got alien psoriasis. Ugh. Heartbreaking. Yep. Heartbreaking. <laughs> I'm definitely too much of a baby for that, but I've absorbed uh, some <laughs> things through... Hopefully not psoriasis. Pop, pop culture osmosis. No, not psoriasis. Okay, good. Um, but uh, anyway, they did call back to what happened in that episode and acknowledge that it had happened, even if we might have wished that they didn't acknowledge that it happened. Mm -hmm. um, and it means that maybe some stuff that's happening in this episode or the next few episodes might come back. I suspect it will. Like, it certainly doesn't seem like they're done with the... Whatever exactly the uh, the Zindi were up to with Rajin in this episode, so who knows? Maybe she'll be back. I was actually wondering that towards the end because her fate is left very ambiguous. It is, and she gives Archer that like little look of longing at the end. That's like, but wait, I don't want to hurt you. So yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't know if she'll be back, but I would not be surprised if she just has bad things happen to her from here on out. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, it does not seem like she is in a uh, in good hands right now. No, no, it does not. Nor is she in a good costume. She's borrowing one of Jerry Ryan's old cat suits. Oh no. Oh well. Oh well. Anyway, continuity attempts at it. Cool. Mm -hmm. I like the alien market. Yeah, the alien market was cool. Like, nice job for a weird 
Yeah, just weird alien market. I like the, uh, the, I think it was a lady who was for a moment silently but very aggressively following them with what appeared to be... An egg? No, giant dead eels. Oh, I missed that part. Yeah, it's like, it only lasts about five seconds or so, but it's right before they start talking to the little space orc guy who mm-hmm. wants to show them the pet that they can eat. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, that's not what you do with pets. Where she's just very clearly like, wait, look at the giant dead eels. <laughs> yeah. It was weird. It's not what you do with pets. Apparently it's what some people do with pets. Like Klingons. Targs are friends, not food. Well, apparently they're everything. (sighs) Anyway, cool, weird market. Related to the cool, weird market, uh, that shopkeeper was a lot of fun. And also... The chemist? Yeah. Yeah. And also, congratulations, Tucker. That is how you do a trade. Mm Mm-hmm. Like... Y'all got that uh, Trellium D formula for cheap. But the spices are... But you see the, the key... The wars have been fought over them. He's right. They have been fought I over I know, them, which is great. It was very clever. But um, the thing is, he, he as a result, he, uh, you know, he did what you're supposed to do in a trade and found something that's not as of much value to you, mm-hmm. but is of a great deal of value to the person you're trying to trade with. Yeah. Like, you paid for that formula that you really needed with a little bit of paprika. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know who the actor who played the, uh, who played the chemist was, but he was, he was having fun for the 10 minutes or so that he was on screen. He was. I appreciated him a lot. But yeah, stop, like, trading away your valuable engine parts for things. Mm-hmm. Trade more of your food. <laughs> well, not everyone's into that. This guy this was. This guy is. Yeah. All right. But uh, also, it doesn't even just have to be your food. Like, trade your, I don't know, trade your clothes, trade your music, trade your terrible movie database. No one wants that. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, I enjoyed the big fight scene towards the end where they, uh, they were boarded. Mm-hmm. Like, they've made good this season on having a lot of good action sequences. That was a pretty intense fight scene. It's making up for the total dearth of good action sequences from last season. Yeah. The, um, they, they put in the, the time and effort to set those things up nice and they have lots of weird weapons and hey, wouldn't you know what? These aliens are threatening. That was you in fact can shoot one of, them <laughs> one and, of my pluses. And they're like, whatever. Not consistently. Sometimes they get knocked down, but sometimes they don't. I'm on the fence as to whether the Zindi are enough of a, th- are as much of a threat as they need to be. But uh, what I had written down was that's a dangerous little blob of space mucus. Oh, that one that uh, that fired little needles at them. Yeah. Yeah. I hope everyone's okay from that. I hope so too. There were some loose ends in this episode. There were some loose ends in this episode. <laughs> Your uh, turn. That was mine. Oh, oh, okay. Space mucus blob. Okay. Um, I liked... Okay, first of all, the the music was nice. Uh, Same guy who did the music for Vox Sola. Good job. Um, There was this weird scene. Well, yes, there was just weird, very unsettling scene. You're going to have to be more specific than that. Where um, Rajin is scanning Archer. And then suddenly it was not... It was over as if it hadn't happened. That scene was really good. Yeah, I really liked the the depiction there of he just 
had his memory wiped and forgot that that happened. And it doesn't was, know where he is, but... It was also unclear for a moment as to whether it had actually happened. Or whether it was or just whether, a fantasy or something? Or I was thinking more of just like some kind of telepathic thing that she implanted in his mind. Because hmm. at that point, we weren't quite sure what she was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow or other, that was not all that it seemed to be. Okay. Then they ruined it. But... Mm-hmm. Um, I only have one more, which is always good to see Mike Fahar on the directorial credits. And as often happens when he's the director of the episode, this had some cool shots in it. There was some neat use of especially like under the table perspective. Really? Uh, yeah, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of the scene where T'Pol and Tucker blew up the, uh, the lab that had been built for them, mm-hmm. um, where everything was getting very tense and they ah. used this series of like under the table shots to make the lab look a lot smaller than it actually was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the kind of thing we can rely on Mike Fahar to do. The episode's always going to look interesting when he's in charge of it, even if parts of it suck. Fair enough. Um, yeah, my last bullet point here on the pluses is uh, even though it was kind of a silly, pointless scene, I still appreciate T'Pol. Um, she is. In this very weird situation with Trip, but she is doing her best. And she's just like, is it any of Lieutenant Reed's business what we're doing in here? Exactly. Which is correct. Uh, that, is. Uh, that is yeah. the correct way to approach this. Mm-hmm. All right. Like, on for the... all he knows, we're in here playing our nightly game of gin rummy. Vulcan gin, gin rummy. Vulcan gin rummy. Minus his time? Minus his time. All right, you start. You sound like you have something you want to say. I have a few things that I want to say. I'll start with kind of... I don't actually know which one's the biggest one. The writing was bad. Okay. Like, some of the... Some of the structuring was not so bad. But the actual writing of the episode was terrible. Like, there are so many loose ends. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to go back and tie up all those loose ends. I think some of them are just going to be left, like, hanging in suspense forever. The dialogue was awful. A lot of it was kind of nonsensical. Everything that we might have wanted to understand was vague and underexplained or underdemonstrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the end, we know basically nothing about Regine and where she comes from. And like this episode is threatening to move the Zindi arc forward, but I'm not sure it actually did. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I was really, I was really quite frustrated with the writing and the structuring of this episode. I'm just going to go right for the big one. Hoshi's dead. So Hoshi gets seduced by the prospect of being able to hear her many languages. Because this is UPN? No, she just is that into languages. It would be like if she went up to Malcolm Reed and said, I have several types of photon torpedoes. I wanted so badly, as I know you did, for her to try to seduce Reed and to discover that it wasn't going to work because she didn't have a big enough gun. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so she disappears with Hoshi into the turbo lift. And next thing we know, she's in uh, T'Pol's quarters. And we never see Hoshi again. We never see Hoshi again. And also, it is explained by Dr. Phlox that what she did to T'Pol would have been fatal to a human. 
Yeah, so Hoshi's dead. Hoshi's dead? Like, we know that Hoshi's not actually dead, or at least I do, because I metagamed and saw Hoshi prominently in a thumbnail in the next <laughs> couple of episodes. Nope, nope, she is dead. Next but episode is going to be called Star Trek Enterprise 3, The Search for Hoshi, and they are going to have to go find uh, a way to bring her back to life. Uh-huh. Based on the internal logic of this terribly written episode, Hoshi's dead. Bye, Hoshi! Also, are any of the, uh, anyone else dead? Like, it looked like a lot of people got needled or Yeah, those shot. guys are dead too. Are they all dead? They're all dead. Man. Almost everybody's dead. Man, this is rough. If only uh, Captain Archer weren't making stupid decision <laughs> after stupid decision. It's like, you Oh, but are, he wouldn't be Captain Archer. You are in... You are on a war mission. You have taken your soft and warm heart and you have stomped it out so that you are all about torturing prisoners and murder now. And then... Yeah, he didn't try to airlock her. What was the deal with that? Yeah, and and then he's like, oh, you are supposed to be with your shopkeeper, but my heart, which I destroyed, is telling me that I should take you with me and risk provoking interstellar war. Hey, do you know what I believe in again? The principles of the Federation that doesn't exist yet, but the principles of Starfleet. Yeah. And it was a really bad idea. It was. Also, you're free to go anywhere on our ship. Yeah. What? Yeah. (laughs) No, you are, you've got soldiers there because you're like on a, Decide what you want to do. Archer, if you're going to be picking up passengers, you got to have some rules in place for the passengers. Mm hmm. Because you can't just be like, yeah, go mess around with the transporter. That's totally cool. And now, because, uh, because Archer did this stupid thing, they're going to put those rules into place. Malcolm Reed is going to insist on it. And so next time, when Travis's mom comes to visit, they're going to be like, um, all right, Mrs. Mrs. Mayweather, um, we're going to have to keep you in the brig because uh, <laughs> we can't be too safe. Well, fortunately, we'll, they're... We'll uh, feed you, though. Fortunately, they're in the Delphic Expanse and Travis's mom is nowhere nearby. Yeah, but... fortunately. But, like, oi, they're going to overreact and it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> yeah. That also falls under the category of bad writing, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Your um, turn, I okay. think. Yeah, okay, in general. Gross, 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 gross. Dear writers and UPN and anybody else who is listening, lesbian rape is not more progressive. Hmm. It's not better because it's a woman doing it to another woman. Stop basing drama around to Paul getting sexually assaulted. I am so done with this. Yeah, that, that takes up the uh, over-sexualization of T'Pol. On my, uh, it's it's even a list. step past over sexualization this time though because like she was being forced into this, mm-hmm. and also you could tell at the end of the episode that she was still incredibly upset by it. And now I'm afraid that one of the things that's going to come back from this episode is oh no, Tapal has more rape trauma because this is like the third time we've had her get raped for dramatic effect, mm-hmm. or almost whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Some kind of violation of bodily autonomy. Just stop. It's not sexy, and it's not dramatic, and it's not fun, 
and it's really exploitative and I hate it. You got, yeah, I agree. That's all. All right. Another minus. Um, I noticed that those weird, that weird x-ray camera that they had from last episode <laughs> yeah. where Archer's heart grew three sizes that day. Uh-huh. Um, it's back. It's back. And it wasn't good the first time. It wasn't good the first time, but now Regine has it in her hands. She can just start doing x-rays on people uh, because they paid good money for that biological model and wanted to use it again. Now here's my question. Does her interior profile of Archer that we didn't really get a great view of have his three extra hearts? Presumably not because presumably uh, Flux took two of them out and fed them to one of his uh, creatures. Probably. Or perhaps is saving them because it turns out that they can cure Let's say athlete's foot. I mean, it would actually be somewhat neat if he did still have the three extra hearts because then they would have an inaccurate anatomical profile of humans. That would be convenient. But I don't either trust them to run with that (laughs) or terribly want them to. All right. So because I would like them to stop reminding us that that episode happened. In the unlikely event that they forget about this bioweapon thing completely, we will retcon (laughs) this to say that she got inaccurate scans because she only scanned people who still had that because she scanned Archer. She presumably scanned Hoshi. Mm -hmm. Um, And Paul. And Paul. And all of them were modified. Ah, uh, but she missed Reed because Reed's only sexually attracted to guns. Yeah. Oh, well, you can't get everything. But that, that's still enough misleading data that their bioweapon won't work. And so they'll realize this and decide not to build it. And that's the retcon. Or maybe they'll build it anyway and it doesn't matter. They'll build it anyway and it'll be perfect and it'll work just fine. That is how I actually expect this to happen because I don't think they're clever enough to run with mm-hmm. the, to run with the previous idea. Um, that was a hilariously unconvincing explosion. Which one? In the uh, the Trellium D explosion. Ah, okay. Was like, we release the fog from the fog machine. We make the sound effect, and when we come back, everything's broken. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pretty good explosion at the airlock. There was a better explosion at the airlock. That was a more convincing explosion. Mm-hmm. But I laughed out loud when they almost blew up their little lab because it was so bad. Well, overall, good tense scene. Silly ending to the good tense scene. Though I did enjoy Jelly Blaylock's now... delivery of the line. Our calculations may have been a little off. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I, apparently now chemistry involves mostly bombarding your... Uh, substance with fictional radiations? Sure. Okay. Sure. That's uh, different than I remember it from high school, but okay. Had a, had this been my chemistry lab experiment, I probably would have blown it up. That's how my lab experiments tended to go. But, mm-hmm. uh, but it's fine. Anyway, that was, yeah. Special effects fail. Archer is still very bad at interrogation. Yes. That's all. Your turn. Maybe you should let one of the military guys do it. I feel like they've probably got some of them somewhere probably have more practice at it. And they probably also realize what doesn't work. Uh-huh. Which is everything Archer does. Uh-huh. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, you made Anthony Montgomery show up to work for that. 
Like, I had basically decided Travis wasn't in the episode until he had two lines. Yeah. Two utterly functional, pointless lines at the very end of the episode. Could have been worse. He could have been seduced. He could have been seduced and then never seen again. I might have actually preferred that. Because at least it would have given him something to do. Hmm. And I am deeply annoyed that Hoshi's single solitary scene in this episode was getting seduced and never being seen again. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm out. One last one. There were some odd close-ups. It reminded me actually a lot of the original series. Uh-huh. Um, that, like, the scene where Archer is first, like, drawn to uh, Regine. The camera's just, like, super in his face. Mm-hmm. And he's got his usual confused expression. It makes it more intimate with Archer's confused expression. It stood out. I know. Like, that was, that was how they did it in 1968 or whatever. Yeah, I know. This was a little bit of an original series throwback. It was. It was very much, it, it actually, for much of the episode, felt very much like an original series plot. And the close-ups worked when they were on Trip and Paul because they actually are establishing intimacy between those characters. But also on those, the, the close-ups were uncomfortably close. True. We Whereas... could not see into their actual noses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, when I can see the actor's nose hair, you're too close. Mm-hmm. So on to, it sounds like we might have some disagreement on this one. The Mayweather Report? I don't know what to do with this because obviously Mayweather himself was the most marginalized character, but I'm so annoyed at what they did to Hoshi. I want to give it to Hoshi posthumously, of course. Posthumously. Because it's her last chance to ever get one. It is her last chance to ever get one. Because she's dead now. And she was pretty gosh darn marginalized. Yeah. Yeah, so even though Travis was in the episode for strictly less of it, we're giving it to Hoshi because uh, that was worse. Yep. Travis was marginalized within normal parameters. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Next, we have the Kirk Award. Uh Uh-huh. Every show, we bestow the James Tiberius Kirk Award on the character who spends the episode keeping the Star Trek legacy alive by doing the best William Shatner impersonation. It's Archer. It's totally Archer. Yes. It was Archer from the very beginning of this episode. It was particularly Archer from that one shot where we saw the girl looking at his butt over, uh, oh, I was just over thinking, his shoulder. Thinking that he was, uh, he was looking over at uh, Rajin in the, the slave market. And it, it just the camera's close up on his face and he's got a very William Shatner look in his eyes. As they made a connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's so manly and noble. Mm-hmm. And also he had a dumb fight with the, uh, he did. With the slave trader. Yep. <laughs> Where there was a disappointingly small number of Kirk punches, but he did like catapult the guy out a window, which it was pretty, like a pretty Kirk Yeah, it was movie. pretty good. It was yeah. pretty good. He was there to play Kirk in this episode. So good yeah. job, Archer. You did that element of what you're supposed to do. All right. Let's uh, take it home. Let's take it home. All right, as always, thank you for listening. If you are enjoying this, please tell all your family and friends to join the crew. If you are really enjoying this, please consider leaving us a rating, review, or signing up for a subscription on the podcast platform of your choice. If you would like to tell us how we have brightened your day or give us some ideas for the show, 
shoot us an email at at least there's a dog at gmail.com. And if you are watching along with us, your next viewing assignment is Impulse. Mm-hmm. Vulcan's gone wild. I'm I'm actually dis- I'm kind of reluctant to keep giving Japanese titles because are they spoilery? This one was called Beautiful Imposter. True. Or no, beautiful sorry, Beautiful Infiltrator. Infiltrator. Yeah. We'll talk about the Japanese title next time. I guess. Sounds good. All right, Impulse. Take care of yourselves, and until next time, remember to go wherever your heart will take you. Bye. Bye. Correction time. So, a few episodes ago, on the episode called The Expanse of Enterprise, uh, an abrupt tonal shift, I made an analogy. Um, And I was wrong. I said that Darth Vader decided that Tatooine was not an effective enough demonstration. So the first part was, that was a mistake. That wasn't Darth Vader who said that. That was Grand Moff Tarkin. My apologies. Now, I should have known that because I do actually kind of remember that. On the other hand, it turns out that Dantooine and Tatooine are not the same planet. I thought that was just Carrie Fisher kind of mumbling a weird alien planet line. No, they're two different planets, and uh, that's strange, but got that one wrong too. Anyway, the analogy should have been that attacking the Earth with their strange little space probe that the Zindi had was like Grand Moff Tarkin deciding that Alderaan should be destroyed instead of Dantooine because Dantooine would not make nearly impressive enough time. Thank you and good night.